Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to yet another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I am excited um, to be talking to Sean McGrath over at Iris in London. Um, And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the new world of creativity. Um, uh, A first came across Sean from an article he wrote in Campaign at the beginning of the year, which caught my eye because it's the first time I'd seen a creative director kind of write about the new world of creativity that wasn't just digital and wasn't about traditional, it was about new forms. So we got in touch, had a couple of conversations, and uh, here we are today. So thank you, Sean, for agreeing. So um, it would be brilliant if you could um, take us through a little bit of your background of how you got to where you are right now. So, um, well, I come from Belfast in Northern Ireland um, and I uh, I grew up in a, a sort of the, the Protestant community there, which is a, a kind of keep your head down, work hard to do the professions, you know, you become a, a, a vicar, a lawyer, or a doctor. And the idea of creativity as a career was as alien uh, then as sports, uh, professional sports career. It was something you, sports and creativity were something you did as pastimes rather than um, anything that could possibly be a career. But I went off uh, after school to uh, film school and then uh, I joined the BBC after that and that was really interesting for me because I was I was doing theatre uh, at, at night, fringe theatre and then I was, uh, uh, I'd test the sketches and then the ones that were most successful I would um, take to the BBC and they would put them on youth programmes. Uh, and, and I left that after uh, a debate about something being funny. <laughs> the amazing way to leave your first job. Uh, I, I, I presented the script and was told it wasn't funny. Uh, and I said, no, it is funny because I'm performing it every night and it's getting lots of laughs. And, and uh, the director... Who, the, who was it who told you it wasn't funny? It was the producer of the, of the programme. And he was, he was a, I think I was 21 and he was late 40s and and he took me to one side and he said Sean he said what you've got to understand is that television is the medium of mediocrity and I went right right there you killed it I'm done Uh, that's it Uh, and uh, of course it's not true uh, in some cases but that was certainly his worldview so that I I left and uh, fortunately somebody who'd seen uh, one of these sketches uh, uh, said you should be an advertising and I'd like to introduce you to somebody. And off I went to join my first agency and, and that was my first encounter with the, this breed of 
creature called the advertising creative, and, and I didn't really didn't really like them. And uh, the reason for this was that they were very haughty and snooty, and a bit uh, a bit uppity about the fact that they were banging out these rather crap formulaic ads. And um, um, I, I sort of uh, I circled them like they were a vicious animal for for uh, some period before deciding that I actually quite liked it. But I was lucky that I w I, the first company I joined was um, a weird hybrid agency. Uh, and it was a financial agency that uh, had new product development. Uh, it had uh, city PR, uh, so corporate PR. It had consumer PR. It had advertising. It had direct marketing. It had something called then uh, computer systems which was uh, uh, a forerunner of tech, and it had uh, staff training. So effectively, it would dream up a product, train your staff in the product, put the, the backroom systems in, and then communicate the benefits of your product. So it had a much more holistic view of, um, of problem solving right from the beginning. Uh, I, I then left there and went into uh, sort of mainstream advertising uh, and uh, joined a company called FCA. And we, we became well known in the 90s for um, different sorts of solutions. So we, we uh, uh, paid cab drivers to talk to their passengers about products. We, uh, we did a lot of uh, ambient stuff. Uh, uh, and uh, we became Agency of the Year in 2000. Uh, when I left to join Agency of the Decade, <laughs> which was called uh, Hal Henry Caldecott Lurie, and I joined them with a view to set up a new type of agency, uh, which was called Heresy. And, and the Heresy was, uh, what happened was, I, I drew a diagram one day that had a sort of circle down the right-hand side that sort of, it began with the the uh, the company at the top, the advertiser, and then it it went down to the consumer at the bottom. And the job I, I sort of identified that the job of the agency was to creatively interpret the advertiser's message in order to change the behaviour of the consumer. I then drew the internet down the middle, which was obviously all happening at that time, and worked out how quickly agencies could become uh, disintermediated by this. And then I drew a, 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 a semicircle up the other side, the left-hand side, going in the other direction that showed how actually there was a gap for uh, the other part of the story, which is starting with the consumer and creatively interpreting their needs in order to change the behavior of the company. So heresy was designed to represent customers to agencies in as, uh, as much as it was designed to, uh, sorry, customers to advertisers in as much as it was designed to uh, represent advertisers to customers. So the idea was that we would complete the loop. And that was, uh, that was very successful for a while. Uh, until we had a recession. And uh, I remember it was backed by um, Lord Bell, who was um, uh, Margaret Thatcher's PR advisor. He was this sort of, uh, one, of the, one of the founders uh, of, of the original Saatchi and Saatchi back in the days, very famous ad man in England uh, and PR man. And um, 
he took me to one side and said, uh, we didn't really get on, uh, uh, we didn't see eye to eye on very much, Lord Bell and I, but on this particular uh, occasion, he, he, what he said was absolutely right. He said, John, when you're in a, a service business, it doesn't pay to be too far ahead of the market. And actually what, what made me realize was our proposition what at that time was ahead of its time. And um, we, we ended up becoming, a, and again, a recession meant that, that um, people battened down on, on new ideas and so went back to trusting uh, old, old tried and trusted methods. And uh, heresy became uh, part of VCCP. We merged with VCCP and I uh, left there and uh, after a period and joined Iris. And Iris at that time was... Uh, a, it, again, it didn't really know what it was. It was set up to service Sydney uh, Erickson. And Sydney Erickson, uh, basically the way they described it, Sydney Erickson said, Iris does all the bits that the advertising agencies don't do. Uh, and, and over a period of time, that was 2008, over a period of a couple of years, it became very clear that what, what was most interesting was the, bit that's the bits that the advertising agencies didn't do. And, and so there was all the different ways of connecting with consumers. So the forerunners of content, brand experience, all kinds of other types of communication, um, and eventually... Hello? We just we just cut out. Ah, I just saw your internet connection is unstable. It said, yeah, something flashed up. Where where did we cut out? Um, you were just talking about how um, you were sort of doing everything that the ad agency wasn't doing. Yeah, so I can go back and talk about that. That's so you, you talked a little bit about it. You were talking about you know filling in the gaps in the brand experience content. That's yeah, I mean. Essentially, uh, it, it was a broader approach to creative problem solving, uh, and, and and what clients were becoming, advertisers were becoming aware of at that time was that there is a there was a much greater need. Uh, they were seeing uh, diminishing returns from the old school of of uh, of marketing, and they were looking for um, more interesting ways to engage with consumers. And that period if you remember, was a period of great experimentation because um, consumers were really, brands were really beginning to, to engage with consumers in a different way through, through the web. So it was a, it was a really exciting, uh, exciting time and that formulated a lot of uh, the views that we currently hold about uh, participation, bringing the consumer into the process and, and making them part of it and actually creating work that that uh, consumers want to want to share because we we, we talk here about making uh, the moment you make your market uh, you you get your market doing your marketing your your media budget explodes exponentially so it's about creating work that your market will want to participate in tell people about share mm -hmm. so so kind of it was so you kind of been at the at the forefront of a lot of the evolution of where you know where advertising has has moved to 
where where yeah. marketing communication has moved to. And we're now at this kind of really, we're now at this really sort of interesting point where we sort of got a duopoly and we've got, I mean, we've got sort of, we've got to the kind of crunch, crunch time where, you, you know, you took Procter and Gamble's talking about making soap operas again. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seems like we've gone sort of full circle that, um, you know, the, the duopoly and it's going to even get worse with Google taking over the cookies as of 2021. Um, you know, there are three places to go online, Facebook, Google, Amazon. Yeah. Um, increasingly advertising, television advertising is, uh, you know, um, in decline to a certain, to a certain degree. Um, more programs without any advertising are emerging. So yeah. it's very, very tough for brands to capture the attention of audiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we are, we have a generation that is growing up with, uh, with Netflix, uh, with the ability and on demand, with the ability to watch stuff without advertising. And, and, and we know in our own behaviors, I know in my, my behavior, how quickly I adapt to that and how, how suddenly advertising becomes an irritant. So, I mean, it all boils down to value, doesn't it? And advertising, unless it is inherently valuable in some way, is just, it is just an irritation. And one of the questions I used to ask in the heresy days was, how much of your budget actually benefits your customer? How much of your marketing budget benefits your customer? Because if it, if it doesn't at all, then you are in an old world of, of, of interruptive uh, marketing. And, and if you begin to think about taking that budget and what you, what you would do to add value to your customer, then that begins to take you to a, to a different place. Now, part of, the, part of the problem with that thinking today is that marketing budgets have become smaller and smaller and, and more and more carved up. So actually... By the time they get, by the time they get to agencies, often they're just purely communications budgets. So the, a lot of what I see is is a result of the diminished status of marketing within uh, client organisations, and, and 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 the knock-on effect of that to uh, the creative uh, agency community. So then you get then you get people desperate to. To try and do something creative with any money they can get their hands on, and you have all these short-term, five-week, yeah, things that enter award shows and end up winning, but they do actually nothing for the business. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think those things that go into award shows um, are about solving a, the agency's problem, and not not necessarily the, any any client, or certainly not a consumer problem. And, and the agency's problem is how do we produce some award-winning work? And it's, it's just, it, it's, a, it's an indicator of how, uh, how much the industry has eaten itself. Uh, I, I, and I, I, just to go back to this, this thing about marketing status, 
you know, when when a when a new company is set up, it is it is often it is always when in the in the case of a successful company set up to answer a customer need. It is a it it is a solution to a customer problem, and so it's incredibly customer centric. And that's what that that is in in my definition of marketing. Marketing is is. Uh, it's this whole area of customer centricity. Now, as that company becomes more successful, what 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 you notice is those those marketing becomes a department in the organisation, and and people become concerned with all kinds of other things from from logistics to to to, to payroll to everything else. Yeah, to me, I mean, to me, it seems like you've got that's an interesting. The sort of you 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 start off with a vision and a visionary. And so you're very right-brained in your, yeah, you're about solving problems, but you're about bringing something new into the world. Yeah. Historically, it was, you know, Kellogg or McDonald's or whoever, right? They were all like, we've got a better thing, better widget, better burger, yeah. better way. And then you have to scale it. So then you, the systems come in to scale that idea. And then the more scale you bring, the more sort of you dilute the purity of your original vision. Exactly. But, but I would argue that what's happened to me in my mind is that, that in fact, everything is marketing. The fact that yeah. there's a department called marketing that's diminished, its budgets are reduced, is not truly reflective of the state of marketing. If everything is a everything, everybody and everything is a brand, then everything they do is marketing. So, yes, yes, in the in the in the true real world sense, I I, I think that's absolutely right. The fact that in in the minds of the the C suite, marketing is this slightly diminished function that often doesn't doesn't get a, a, a place in the, the C-suite. Yeah. It is really concerning because to your point, uh, a, a company's body language is far more eloquent than its advertising can ever be. So it, to that, to that, um, uh, to that point, everything that the organization does today is marketing and you know, you can produce the best advertising campaign in the world, but if you've got a sweatshop in somewhere in the world, or you've got uh, something else going on that is not, or, or your service is just poor, it, it's it, it's it, you will be found out almost immediately. And and um, uh, your you, marketing that, that that spend is is has been pointless. And, and actually often counterproductive. So it's about going back to this much more simple and true form of a, a, a definition of marketing as understanding the connection, the connection between you and your consumer. And it's so much more varied now than, than just, just uh, uh, advertising. And, and that's what, when I talk about agencies, I talk to agencies, I say we cannot afford to marginalize our creativity to conventional communications because clients' creative needs are, are, are today much, much greater. So, you know, you could take, you, you mean you could take the view where what changed, what heresy was sort of a reflection of was a 
was a shift from the command and control model yeah. to this, this flip to you don't own the brand, the consumer owns the brand. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was a sort of a very dictatorial, um, most patronizing relationship, you know, yeah. uh, that existed. And, and then the internet cliched word democratized the landscape, broadened, opened up information. Um, and, you know, we could, we could, we could uncover whether you were possibly the best logger in the world. We, we had thousands of people who were suddenly equipped to comment and share those comments in a way that we hadn't had before. It's exactly true. And I think we, we underestimate how much legacy thinking is still within a lot of organizations. So, so we've adapted, you know, a lot of these companies have adapted to the change, but they haven't significantly changed. Um, did, you, did that break up there? Because I just saw well, that. I think it was fine. It was fine. Um, and, and, and to that point, I, I was reading something interesting the other day that said uh, Neanderthals actually coexisted with Homo, Homo sapiens for, for, for a brief period in history. And I think we're seeing that in the business world. I think, I think there, are, there is a lot of legacy thinking still within um, the, the organizations because it's so deeply entrenched that uh, uh, it, it's going to take a long time to work its way out through the system. Um, but we need to be aware of it and we need to co constantly challenge it. Yeah, I mean, over here you've got, I mean, I think you've got this new generation of marketers who, I mean, to be honest, you know, things like production budget, um, commercial director, advertising agency are almost no-no words. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like they're, they're like red flags. Um, they don't want to go anywhere near them. Um, they, they don't want to pay for them. Um, and you know, they're everything sort of like okay, we we can do a lot of this ourselves. You know, we know who we are. We know who our customers are. Um, and we've probably got a great product that you know nothing travels like value, and 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 um, you know it's beholden on creative people, creative the creative industries to be creating value, real value, and and that's where I talk about um, uh, quite a lot about visible and invisible creativity. So so there is the visible is what a lot of people in the ad industry got into the business to create. So these ads, the, these commercials that you're you're talking about, something that your mum would see. Invisible creativity isn't a presence like a poster or an ad. It's an absence. It creates an absence of a cue or a problem. And and that is the most interesting uh, um, form of creativity. Uh, for me, because it's, that is about creating genuine value for the consumer, and and therefore for the company, and it is in it is in our interest to act in our customers' interests always. So, the organisations that you're talking about have been sweating the, the the business model and the business proposition, and the key question 
which is actually what question are we the answer to? What consumer problem are we the, are we the answer to? And if you've created something meaningful, it will, it will travel of its own accord. Consumers will automatically tell each other uh, about it. And, and you see a lot of brands in, 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 in this space who, are, who have grown up without, you know, they've become successful without advertising. So there is, you know, it's not surprising that they sneer at um, the idea of, of uh, having to fork out a fortune for some big name director to produce some uh, some piece of art uh, on television, and 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 uh, that, that it's a really valid point of view, and it's a great challenge to the the creative industry to to step up to. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I think I, I think to go back to your article where you were you you know maybe you want to reference that I think it was interesting just you just like you were sort of reflecting back on what you've made, and it wasn't about ads; it was about all kinds of other things that yeah. that you'd made, and um, how much how much of it is to me the creative profession it it, it has a very sort of um, well-defined rule set that you know you must have come from somewhere you must have done a certain thing you must have won certain awards um, and this this type of work there's a hierarchy you know this type of work is the most prestigious this isn't very prestigious um, so you have it in you in through the education system you ingrain these sets of values that yeah. don't actually help business. They're about the perpetuation of legacy creativity. Yes, I, I think that's 100% true. And, and it, you know, as the old Chinese saying goes, the, you know, the fish rots from the head, it starts at the top. And, and, and if the creative lead in the agency loves TV spots and loves going to Cannes and having that celebrated, then, then that will filter down through through osmosis through the company. That's that's what we need to do. And that, I was very fortunate in that I came into the industry for, through a, 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 a different path from from the BBC and then into a broader based problem solving company where I did first encounter this species of, of person who feels the need to label themselves as, as a creative. And, and uh, I, 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 I became very disenchanted with that, with that idea. They, they, and, and I felt like an outsider. And the benefit, I've, I've since had chance to look, a chance to look back on this, and the, the benefit of the outsider perspective is actually uh, huge. Because if you don't belong to something, there's a huge, huge desire to belong um, in, certainly in, in this industry, but often in, in categories. And belonging is, is possibly the most fatal thing you can do. We, we, we actually talk about the, the, the need, we're in the business of differentiation. So, so to belong is a, is a, is a very dangerous thing. Now, the other benefit of, the, of being an outsider is you, you take a rather skeptical view of the herd. And, 
and you question the conventions and the and, and the mores, and and that in itself is a is a really healthy business practice for any any business. I, I see it in other categories where I have had in the past people come in and say we need something like this. You go well, that's exactly what you're. The market leader is doing. How is that going to help? I know, but this is what we need. And you see, it, it is this. It is legacy thinking is the enemy, and and this desire to belong to the to, to the herd is 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 symptomatic of that. So so when you're when you're when you're about uh, when it's about creating an internal culture inside the agency around a new vision of creativity and about attracting talent that wants to participate and be a part of that. What's the approach? We have a thing we, we call frustrated ambition and frustrated ambition is what we look for in, in everybody who comes here. And that is, that's really, wherever they've been, they haven't been, they're square pegs. They haven't been able to, to, to voice what they, what they wanted to say, to, to, to do what they wanted to do. And, and it, it, it's a very particular type of, of, of person who has particularly been frustrated by the advertising industry, but more and more often we're recruiting from outside the advertising industry. And, and as I said, we're a much more broader based company anyway. So we include uh, management consultancy, uh, pricing consultancy. We've got we've got tech and innovation guys. So so all these these characters are we're all mixed. And the best sorts of creative companies, the creative company of the future, I believe, will be very similar to what I experienced in my first company, which was it. Just cutting out. You're not dealing with a, a, how do we fill a box, whether it's a, a, a box of TV time or a box in a newspaper or a box on a billboard. We're dealing with, we're, we're, we're wrestling with how do you solve um, a, a genuine problem in terms of how does, a, how, does this, how does a brand connect with its consumers? So what, what role do you feel that the strategists play? Are they play a, a pretty fundamental role in helping make this happen or do you not have conventional strategists? Yeah, we do. In fact, we, we, we've talked quite a lot about that and, and, and we're, we, we, you know, we, we've, got, we've got sort of two levels of innovation because what we realized is the, the industry, the, the marketing industry is incredibly short-termist at, at, at the moment. So... For uh, a while ago, we had um, uh, an intermediary said uh, came to us with this enormous series of pitches for huge brands, and we'd always been the sort of quirky outsider. And I said, "Why are we on these big mainstream pitches?" And um, the the intermediary said, "It's because uh, companies know that you'll come up with something different." So. We felt beholden to come up with something vastly different, and we lost two or three of these pitches in a row. And uh, there was always with we love that, but we're not ready for it at the moment. We'll, we'll come back to you, and actually, a couple of them did come back to us. Uh, but but what what we realised was we've got to start with where you are now, and uh, and at the same time, so so immediate innovation, 
which usually involves moving from category less interesting communications to more insightful uh, uh, communications. And then there's long, longer term innovation that sits underneath that, that is about innovating the proposition. So giving you better things to communicate over a period of time. So we have two types of strategists, well, pr probably three types of strategists, actually. We've got uh, conventional advertising strategists who deal with this sort of short term, how do we how do we manipulate our messaging to be much more interesting and insightful mm -hmm. uh, and innovative? Uh, and then we've got proposition management, uh, which is proposition uh, stra strategy, which is what we're we going to be able to say in six months' time that is going to be more interesting and more resonant. And then there is future strategy, which is more about tech and, and, and actual product innovation that says, let's look at the generic of what you offer as an organization and see how we can do that better. Because the reality is that there are organizations, uh, there are companies that aren't even in your marketplace at the moment who could move in and, and kill you stone dead in, in a month or two. So a great deal of what drives our relationship with our, our clients is this notion of jeopardy. Because until you fully understand the jeopardy, you're not likely to step out of your comfort zone into a more innovative space. So often what we do is sit down and say, okay, so you've come in with an advertising brief. Now the reality is you are outspent by your competition. You are third, you're third place in the market at the moment. You, uh, you, have, you don't have as good distribution. And there are two or three organizations that are, aren't even in your category that may come in. So, so you are on a downward escalator. You're walking up a downward escalator. And, and the reality is it's a very, very scary place to be right now for your business, which is pretty much true across the board, by, by the way. Um, and then the next stage is to say, right, so we cannot produce category communications. For all, the, for all the, the above reasons, number one. So we're going to start looking at that. The second thing is that we, we, we have to not just innovate now against current messaging. We've got to look at what we'll be saying in six months and, and a year's time. And feeding into that, we've got to innovate because somebody is looking at your consumer and thinking, I can do that better already. So unless we are doing, we are prepared to do it better. We will always be playing catch, playing catch up. So, so um, is is this something that it seems like you've got to get clients to buy into your philosophy, which might become somewhat, I would think, somewhat challenging. I mean, in terms of who wants to go, because you're really talking about three. Uh, chronological stages of development i guess and yeah. um is 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 it how do you how aggressive are you about selling that is it all or nothing like it's it's it is getting that way um we 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 launched a, a year and a half ago with a a new positioning for ourselves which was for the forward which was an a, 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 an acknowledgement that that there are certain companies that do yep. not want what we offer and 
And we're, we're wasting our time and their time trying to do, uh, you know, we, we talk about having multiple spe specialisms, but a, a singular product and our product is progress. And we will work with you to drive your business forward by better connecting it to consumers. Um, and and our, our, our definition of creativity is anything that removes a barrier, any, any ingenious idea that removes a barrier between you and your customer. And we will map out those barriers and then we will give that map to the, uh, the client organization and have it pinned up uh, in the agency as well. Because the reality is if you're working with an insurance firm, you're not going to be able to solve an underwriting issue as well as an underwriter. So if you present that problem back to them, you can work with them uh, um, as a consumer advocate in the conversation, say, yeah, I understand you can do that, but that's not really gonna float anyone's boat. That's isn't, gonna... this, isn't this one of the problems that if you, that it's back to that marketing is a ghetto, becoming a ghetto, but, yeah. but solving, these customer problems is expansive. So suddenly you've got people who, who you're talking to from a marketing function who are like, you mean we've got to talk to customer service? And you're going, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Well, we, we don't, we never have. And yeah. so it, it's this, it's massively transformative because you're talking about not just an agency change, but an organizational change. Yes. Yes. But to see things much more holistically, if they're really going to tackle, uh, you know, tackle these problems. But I've yet to speak to uh, a, a marketing director or CMO who doesn't know they need to do that. Mm -hmm. There are some who will find it more difficult to do it. But there, but if you if you say what you just said, you you need to be speaking to these people that you aren't speaking to. They they will acknowledge that they they. They, they, they genuinely do and we can facilitate that so we used to talk about integration a lot in the uk in terms of integrated marketing yeah uh, effectively what we are talking about as well is a, is a much more advanced form of that where we where we integrate the consumer into the conversation then we integrate all of that into the into the client organization so it's 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 moving into the heavy lifting part of of integration rather than just the the, the, the calm side and, and our industry needs to embrace that because uh, annoyingly we've allowed ourselves to become depositioned as the candy floss of the business world because we are talking about um, we're quittering on about directors and and uh, at a time when clients organizations are facing uh, have a requirement for much greater transformation and, and it doesn't mean that a great TV ad can't, can't uh, change the fortunes of a, uh, of a company, but it's got to be at the right time and when the company is ready for it. And there may be much more pressing problems for the company to deal with. So unless we take a much more holistic view, uh, because our clients need us to take a much more holistic view, unless we have a much broader based offer creatively, because our clients need uh, uh, our clients' creative needs are greater. Um, we are not being. We are. We are not the answer to a to to uh, a, a, a pertinent question. And the reality is, and it's back to your earlier question, uh, or, or your earlier observation, is that this isn't for everyone. Now, at the moment, we are a, a, an answer to a question that only 
uh, very ambitious companies are asking, but the reality is all companies need to be asking themselves this question. I think, I think Deloitte did a study on CMOs. It's a global study. It's worth a read. Mm. Um, I think they found sort of one in eight CMOs that they classify as being innovators. These were people who were pushing their agenda, breaking down the silos, getting a seat at the sea level, um, yeah. and, and really being very progressive. But it was only it was only one in eight, I think, or one in six. And, and, and you can understand that you can understand that because the lifespan of a of a CMO is is uh, you know, again incredibly short these days. And and there are two ways to approach that. You either go okay, so we'll we'll give you a new ad campaign and and run a promotion and hope everything's okay, or we, you can say okay, let's let's try and change that. Let's let's let's. Let's give you real reason to continue in your tenure because you're making a significant difference. And let's arm you with the, the, uh, the, the, the facts and, the, and, and a plan that, that says, unless we become much more customer centric and we begin to create better value for our consumers across the board, across the experience, then, then we as a business are, are in trouble. And again, it's back to that. It's back to that. The, the, the voice of the CMO is is diminished within the organisation. So, again, part of our job is to raise the raise the marketing function mm-hmm. at every opportunity. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. My, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, so my my question is: When you went back to your point, which is sort of you know perception versus reality so you know the diminishing diminished image of the advertising industry in the eyes of clients you know you're talking a different game so there's sort of a credibility gap you guys have got to have, have got to overcome um because the perception out there is oh yeah they've lost you, you, you know you know you put lipstick on a pig and mm-hmm. you're talking about a much more deep um business-oriented, consumer-oriented play. And so I would wonder how you, how you generate credibility because... Yeah, well, it's, it, it's, um, it was born, it's born out of, uh, of successful case studies ultimately, but the, but the reality is that, that uh, the consultancies are buying agencies yep. uh, and there is that they are, a lot of people are descending on this space, but the problem with consultancies and agencies are that they are philosophically and culturally incredibly different. So, uh, so it makes it very hard for them to get to a place from a legacy point of view that, 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 that works. Aris has, from the beginning, had consultants and, and tech people and, and innovation people. We all grew up through the same culture which is a very simple, no bias, no boundaries, no bullshit culture mm-hmm. uh, that is, in, is incredibly collaborative. And we see ourselves as creative problem solvers. So, uh, so we are, we are uh, much more active in that space and, much more, and, and, and now I'm much more successful in that space uh, uh, than, than I certainly the companies that, 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 that we come up against. But the difference also is that we are, we are coming from a creative place. Create, creativity 
is the is the tool that we use to to, to solve these to solve these problems, and it's the, that's a very different mindset to the to the the um, accountancy firms, yeah, who are about incremental growth. So that is about that's about optimization, that's about efficiencies, that's about uh, cost cutting. And that, that essentially is about milking as much as you can out of a legacy model. We are, we are coming from a, a, a creating and monetizing new models and new, new revenue streams and new opportunities with, with, with clients. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's exciting. I mean, my, my whole thing is, you know, why, why have agencies failed to capitalize on the liquidity in the capital markets. If you, if you, if you said um, what you need is smart insight, a little bit of business savvy, and some creativity to come up with a new business idea, you would have thought the ingredients for those things existed in agencies. Yes. But there, yes. there, there is no, there, there, there are one or two. Um, I happened to talk to, I did a, a podcast interview with somebody at a company called Bullish in yeah. New York, which is a couple of guys ex Deutsch, yeah, um, who who have parallel businesses, a VC business and an advertising slash like communication shop, running in parallel, um, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah, RGA have been doing the same for. Yeah, for- RGA was mentioned as, as one in our conversation. Uh, they're yeah. more. They're more of. A, but, but no one's the sort of like the blank sheet of paper. We could invent. We can invent a new business. We have these insights. We have these design creative skills. Let's go build an idea and let's go shop around to get the capital to make that thing happen. It just hasn't. Yeah. Haven't seen it. Yeah, it's 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 disappointing in that it um, um, there hasn't been more so. Uh, it, it 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 has has happened and is happening, and people people often tend to feel like they they need to leave the industry for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about we've talked about how our approach to it should should be going forward, and and uh, and actually, weirdly, it divides into the type of people. I mean, I personally love working in across different businesses. That I, I get my buzz from going into. You know, it, you're you're one day you're working in the FMCG, next day you're in insurance, next you're in tech, and and that I find that incredible. I find that variety incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, um, and then there are people who love to go very deep on a single thing, and and those are the sort of people that we were saying should be should be setting up these sorts of. These these sorts of uh, companies, but it's a really good point because the to, the tools are all here uh, um, to do it, especially um, especially where we are. Well, I mean, I, I remember I remember looking at some design annual or something online. It was it was this tea company in the UK. They they sent you it was a direct to consumer play, and they sent you a sort of a library of teas. And I was thinking, yeah. oh, this is really damn good. But the whole thing was all about the design. It was like yeah. this thing would have been nothing without the design agency that had this brilliant, I mean, brilliant copywriting, brilliant design, and really made this brand that, you know, you could say 
someone wrote on a boring piece of paper, we're going to do it. We're going to become, we're going to be a DTCT company. And you go, yeah, that's great. Good luck. Then you see this thing because it's been brought to life, you know, and it's like, wow, this is, this is really cool. It's got a really great voice. It's got a really great visual aesthetic. It's got, you know, everything's tied together. But it was like one company going to a design shop versus the design shop saying, oh, there's, <laughs> there's some Why didn't we? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Again, it's, it's very interesting what, what is working and what isn't working and, and, and what on paper looks like it shouldn't work. We, I don't know if you've got uh, over there the phenomenon of uh, Gogglebox which is, is huge here. It's a TV program, but it is basically, the TV program is people watching TV programs. <laughs> so so you, you watch people in their living rooms yep. watching TV programs and commenting on them. Now, if that was pitched, I would say 99 out of 100 companies would have, would have gone, well, no, no, don't go away. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. So I think we need to, especially as, as, uh, as things get more and more competitive, we need to be really open-minded about, uh, and, and ask different questions about how things can be, uh, how we look at how things can be successful and how we can begin to uh, assess how something that sounds actually on paper quite unpromising can be phenomenally the novelty value of that can be you know phenomenally successful yeah i remember um, and i i think this sort of this whole new language around what is creative and, and what creativity is and and just being really expansive about the skill sets you need the person who writes a great 30 second tv spot is not the person who's going to necessarily come up with a with a pilot for a seven series seven episode documentary series on the fashion yeah. whatever right you need different you need different flavors of creativity and you need different skills of creativity and the exciting thing is when you push them all together is what you get that's out right. of that i think i mean that's, that's exactly to me that's the future right it, it's a yeah. it's, it's a it's a an embracing of the breadth of different types of creative talent one hundred percent. The way the way I describe it is um, uh, a, a broad mindset with deep skill sets. So yeah. the company needs to have a broad mindset. It needs to be. We need to be problem hunters. We need to track down what the issues are, and then we need to be able to put varied varied teams on it, so that that, that you get that cross fertilization. You get that. You get you get new thinking. You get challenge. Um, I, I, I think I mean I remember my first week at Iris, and I'd come from I'd come from this big uh, this big successful advertising agency called BCCP, and um, we I sat down I sat down in a meeting to talk about an idea, and uh, there was this uh, grad trainee at the end from from the PR uh, uh, discipline. And I, I just sort of expounded this, this idea. And she went, no, that's, that's rubbish. That'll never work. <laughs> and then, you see, that would never happen in an, in, in a, in an advertising agency. And I said, I said uh, why, why is that? And uh, she explained from a PR point of view, it, would, it, it, it just wouldn't work. And, and actually, that, it was brilliant because 
suddenly I was getting a, a, a degree of, of, of challenge that my status in my previous company would not, uh, it just wouldn't have happened. So it then becomes, uh, you, then, you then need to create a culture that can enable that to happen. It's not about being negative, but a great solution has got to be able to run the gauntlet before, it's, um, before it can be exposed to, to, to the world. So, so that level of challenge, that level of chat from different disciplines is really useful. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think, that, I think, that's, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the chronology thing is really interesting too. You know, what do we do today and what are we going to do in two years' time? and how you parallel path those yes. two things that seem completely, you know, cause one of the, you know, I'm working on this thing, conditions of creativity, conditions for creativity. And um, I'm convinced that people throw away a ton of ideas that could have potential over the longer term, but they're meeting a deadline for a creative meeting. Yes. It, it doesn't fit. But that was that was exactly what happens with those pictures I, I I told you about. You know, they were they were they were right, but they, they were the right solutions at the wrong time. And actually, there's it, it leads me on to um, something else. It's, I came across a book recently uh, called Range. Have you have you heard no, of that? Sounds interesting. It's uh, I think it's, I think the author is called David Epstein, and it's based on it's based on the notion that, uh, it, well, it directly challenges Gladwell's idea that to be successful, you have to start as young as you possibly can, mm. clock up your 10,000 hours and you will be successful. Mm. And, and essentially what he's, he, he's saying is that, that, that is the, that's the Tiger Woods model of success. You know, he was a child prodigy, his dad got him into it, and from the moment he could walk, he was swinging a golf club. But for every one of those, there's a Rafael Nadal um, uh, example, which is he, he didn't want to play tennis. His mum was a tennis coach to so put him off the idea. He mm. went off and he did, he wanted to play football. He played as much football as possible. He played all different kinds of ball sports. He got a lot of different influences from different sports. And then he came back to um, tennis later. And, and it's the notion of, of the polymath. It's the notion yeah. that that having as many influences as possible makes you better and more durable uh, in, the, in, the, in the long run. And, and it, it, it's, it's a lot of the things that you're talking about. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting read. Yeah, that sounds great. Just as a, so as a, final, uh, as a final question for you, and it might be a hard one, um, companies or work or marketing that you're envious of, that you thought you, that you go, yeah, we ought to like to work with those guys or they're a competitor and they've done a really good job or something out there that you go, yeah, that's kind of a benchmark. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of the, what we should be aiming for. Yeah. Um, that is really difficult. There's a, there's an old example. I always, um, yeah, I, I used to, I used to use when I talked to creative departments in the past mm -hmm. and, I don't know whether it's an apocryphal tale or not, uh, but there was a story, I think it was in Spain, uh, and it was when they built the Guggenheim, and it was on the other side of the river from where this sort of the, the most popular part of town was. Yep. And the, the brief was, went out to advertising agencies to say, we need a campaign 
to, to get people to go to the other side of the river. And they sat down and all these people came in with these clever campaigns about why you should move to the other side of the river. Uh, and the final agency came in that had one board and it flipped it over and on the board was a picture of a bridge. And they said, for the amount of money you're about to spend, we can build this bridge. <laughs> and that, as a piece of thinking, yeah. is, is 100% what we are, uh, uh, what I aspire to, what we're about as an agency. I know often it's not going to be a silver bullet solution like that. It's going to be silver buckshot uh, from, a, from a, 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 a two barrels of a shotgun because it's going to need lots of little micro solutions. Mm -hmm. That, that type of thinking, whether it's true or not, it has certainly shaped my thinking over the years. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to thank you so much for your time. I'm going to. Well, thank you. Very interesting. Yeah, a really good conversation. And the more more people chatting about this, the better for everyone. I think. Yeah, yeah. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.